Hi, you're listening to Healing Codependency. I'm your host, Erica Wright. (laughs) Okay. Healing Codependency is a six-pot, deeply personal podcast series that will offer you an intimate look at how and why I am the woman I am today. I'm a self-appointed codependency counselor and passionate about up-leveling my own life. The point of this podcast series is to show you that if I can change, anyone can. I share six core turning points in my life and how I created a relatable daily non-codependency practice. Today on the episode, I talk about how I learned to live a lie and how the truth became the foundation of my life and work. Episode two, stop lying. The beginning as far as I can draw it is the beginning of the lies slash the truth, you know, the beginning of the embodiment and normalization of living a lie is when I was in third grade and I came home. I had an old horrible lady that probably shouldn't have been a teacher at all, Mrs. Barry. I'm sure she's long dead, but we had been talking about adoption in that class, you know, like we had read some story. There was some adoption thing. And I remember like coming home from school and there was something in me that was like, I'm going to ask my mom if I was adopted. And I did. And I remember we were standing in the kitchen. And so if it was third grade, I was probably eight, which would mean like, you know, my sister was two, a toddler. And I remember saying to her, am I adopted? Instantly the look on her face. I was like, whoa. And she was like, well, yes and explained to me how I had a different dad. I had a biological dad, his name was Louis Esper, and this was the deal, and we were in love, and we got married, and we had you, and when you were three, he left. And your dad, who was my stepdad, who I always called dad, adopted you, You know, I met your dad very shortly after um, and he adopted you because he wanted you and he wanted to be your dad. It felt very fact oriented. There was a part of me that was like, oh, well, that makes sense because I felt different. Trying to put my finger on it would feel something like I feel wholly belonging to my mom. And some kind of vacancy in the dad department. Even from when I was really small, it's like I would see other family structures. And and it was like I could feel a space. And 
my dad, my stepdad, super present home every night. So it wasn't, I mean, I think I just actually could feel like the actual loss. You know, when she was explaining the deal to me, she also said, you have a grandmother that absolutely loves you. I haven't talked to her and haven't seen anybody since the day Louie, because that's what she called him, left. But I know Maria, Elsa, Esper, and and at any time, if you wanted to get in touch with her, you probably could. And I was like, well, can I talk to dad about this? And she was like, no, your dad adopted you and Louie didn't want you. And it would hurt your dad's feelings. We're just going to lie. This is what we're all agreeing upon. And this is what we're going to do. So there wasn't really any other option for me other than to, okay, this is what we're doing. Going through the rest of my childhood up until I think I was about 20, if I had a really good friend, I would tell them this secret. On Thanksgiving night, I can't, some year, I don't know, I was 20, whatever year it was, my dad, my stepdad left my mom. We had had Thanksgiving dinner, and then that night, everyone went to bed, and I'm pretty sure she was on to it for a while, and they'd been fighting for a while, but that was the night he admitted that he was having an affair, and... You know, he was going to go be with the new lady that he loved. And I was living in the downstairs apartment of a two-family house at the time. And my dad's truck pulling out at one in the morning. And I was like, that's weird. Something's up. My parents weren't the type of people that went out at one in the morning. And I went upstairs and I was like, what's going on? And everybody, up, my brothers and my sister were asleep. And she was like, your dad's having an affair. He left. That's what's up. She was distraught for sure. And I flipped out. And, and I remember sitting upstairs with a crying and just being like, what is going on? And then he came back. And I was sitting on the couch in the living room watching MTV. This is so crazy. I'm just remembering this right now. To be clear, I had never once seen my dad cry up until this moment. Never once. Hot ass, Dorchester, doesn't cry, ripping butts, wielding hammers, drinking coffee, doesn't cry. And he walked in and he was crying and he sat down on the couch next to me. I met someone and I'm in love with them and I don't want to be married to your mom anymore and... I'm not leaving you, I'm leaving the marriage. And my head was spinning and, you know, he was like coming to get in his stuff and the kids were still asleep. And 
at some point in the middle of the night, it was decided that the kids were going to get woken up at like seven o'clock or something. And he was going to tell them and then he was going to get his stuff and go. And I was like, if that's what's going to happen, then am I allowed to say I have a, a different dad? You absolutely can. <laughs> yes. Okay. While we're slinging the truth, we might as well check all the boxes. Up until that point, it was never discussed or talked about. It was easy to avoid. I look so much like my mom. And then my stepdad's English and Scottish, very fair with blue-green eyes. Oh yeah, she got all her mom's jeans. Wake the kids up, sit around the kitchen table. I'm sure my, <laughs> my dad, my mom, and I are probably ceaselessly smoking butts. These poor children, <laughs> not even breathe, you know. It's November, the windows are closed. We're all smoking. Everybody's distraught. You know, my dad's crying. Obviously, something is wrong. And so he says to them, all right, well, I met someone else. I'm in love with them. I don't want to be married to your mom anymore. And like, I'm moving out, which probably is exactly how my dad would have said that. My God, you know, having her experience, what, what that must be like. And then I was like, and, you know, and they started to cry, right? So what were the ages of these? I'm 14, 11, and nine just woke up the day after Thanksgiving. Can't come sit around the table. And then I have a different father. And, you know, and I remember really them being like, what? It was just like double, double kick, <laughs> double kick to the guts or to the truth, to the truth blob. I think at that time, there was a part of me that was a little bit like, and fuck this guy to my dad. I can see that now where it was just like, I'm gonna punish you a little bit. There was like a distancing. I think that was the beginning of the, well, you're not my dad anyway, position that I took out of not really being able to process my feelings of, of him having an affair and like my, allegiance to my mom and my love for my mom and my concern for my mom and and then desperately wanting his love and now there's a green light for me to go find the other part of myself that I have not had access to definitely that moment of telling the truth of I have a different father you're not who I think I am I don't even know who I am <laughs> was the trajectory of the truth got interesting and my responsibility. And then however many months it was, which was probably about six months, late spring, early summer, where I picked up the phone, a little side note, I think it was a week or so after my dad left and my mom came to me with a little, uh, cut out picture and a folded note that she kept from my dad, from my blood dad. And she was like, I had to hide this from your father, <laughs> but I kept it all this time just in case 
for when you wanted to know. And it was like his high school yearbook picture cut out and a note that he wrote her that I actually have framed on my wall now. And it says, Elaine, I'm sorry I came home so late, but I got involved in music again as usual. But I just want you to know that no matter how involved I get in music or art, I'll always love you the most because I'm in love with you and you make me happy and you try. Keep trying and will last forever. Have a good day and I'll be thinking of you. By the way, I have to work as a busboy, but I'll be home at 9.45 for sure. Fuss, which is me, which means fat in Arabic. <laughs> Fuss will be safe. I will keep her up until it's time for me to go. I must go to Seepy now. Give me a kisser in the morning. I love you, Louis. P.S. Don't smoke the butt in the ashtray. Thank you. These words are under all conditions of physical self and mental, spiritual, true, and honest. So she gave me that, and she gave me a little cutout yearbook picture. It's the first time I had seen my blood dad with my eyes. Very handsome and very Arabic. My grandparents are Mexican and Syrian and Middle Eastern. So then I guess I'll call my grandmother and see what happens. I was in the kitchen of my apartment that I rented from my parents downstairs. And I picked up the, uh, the old uh, corded phone, the phone that was connected to the cord in the wall. And I called her and it rang. She answered. And I said, hi, is this Elsa? And she said, yes. And, and I said, this is Erica. I'm Louie's daughter. And immediately she started crying and she said, I knew you would call me. He always said that you would call me and that I should just wait. We were both crying and I think she was praying in Spanish also. And then, well, when can I come visit you? And she was like, anytime, here's my address. A week later, I got in a car and I drove. The moment that I saw her, so I pulled up to the house that she lived in, which is the house my dad grew up in. Like she had not moved her and my grandfather. Very modest little house in Indiana. And I knocked on the door and she opened the door and it was just like the waft of that house. There was a visceral homecoming for me. It was just all love. The love was flowing. You know, she was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. I don't know anything. I love you. I love you. Please forgive me. Please forgive your dad. And when he died, you know, because he died in 1981, so probably died very close in proximity to when I asked my mom if I was adopted. He was 27 when he died. And, and then seeing me, the love was on full blast. The teaching of this is that the love is always available. Always. Regardless of the circumstances. 
even with the lying, even through all of it, at no point in any of the things that occurred in that story was the love not available. The journey to the truth is where all the good stuff is. As I retell that story, even the emotion that I feel, it's so absolutely consumed with gratitude. It's like, wow, that was all mine. And these people who were desperately trying to love each other, even in the face of all of the terrible behavior, the beauty, the way the truth became interesting to me and made me who I am and now is like the main line of my life is so beautiful and remarkable and I would not change a stitch of it. Really being able to discern for myself if I'm going to do a life of lies or a life of truth. I know how I like to feel. At any time, regardless of what you've done in the past, at any time, regardless of how you grew up or where you came from or what you were programmed to do or what is at any time, you can change course. Even if you don't know how you're going to change course, just even having the inkling that at any time, you can begin to choose the truth. So what I tell all of the people that start working with me. Very first thing, stop lying. And that's with yourself. Stop lying to yourself. Inside yourself. You don't have to send a newsletter. You don't have to make a proclamation. You don't have to go out into the street and shout it. But be willing to be interested in the truth and the discovery of what that is. The sliver of bravery that it takes to start to tell yourself the truth, the firecracker, that could potentially set you off on a trajectory so that it becomes really interesting and really satisfying after it's uncomfortable. I can't fool myself anymore. I can't fool myself like I used to. I don't care about how uncomfortable I am. I care way more and I'm way more invested in the feelings of satisfaction and alignment that my truth offers me inside myself. Be afraid and do it anyway. Be uncomfortable and do it anyway. And eventually, without fail, it becomes the new go-to. It just loses its charge with repetition. It becomes normal. Blur. That's probably like building a new habit. Thank you for listening to Healing Codependency. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about my one-on-one and group counseling programs, please find me online at ericawright.org. That's E-R-I-K-A-W-R-I-G-H-T dot O-R-G. And on Instagram at Erica Wright H C D. That's E R I K A W R I G H T H C 
D. This production was co-created by award-winning media midwife, Ari Golden. You can find a link to her work in the show notes. Please join us next time as my journey of healing codependency continues. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you find it helpful. Healing Codependency is sponsored by my company, Superstar Dark Chocolate, a superfood bar with all organic raw ingredients. Find it and eat it at www.superstar.com. That's www.supahstah.com. And God's Eye Oils natural hand-blended beauty care and custom perfumes. To experience the full line of products, please visit www.godseyeoils.com. That's www.godseyeoils.com. You can find links to our sponsors and learn more about each episode in the show notes.